The following is intended only for mature audiences. Whoops. Oh. Right out of the gate. That was awesome. Gary Hoffman. That's major style points. Shannon Farron. She likes to impose her will. She's not one that's going to sit back. She's gone out there and done what she wants to do. I mean, what is going on here? Gary and Shannon. Uh, you know, I do like this team. You put up your best pictures and personality traits. You lie about how much money you make. I've seen both your profiles. They're filled with lies. Oh, my goodness. What a change of events here. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on that iHeartRadio app. The thing that keeps sticking with me is the rule that they can only have water or milk on the Senate floor. (laughs) And did you see the candy drawer? I heard about it. I haven't seen it yet. There's also a drawer of candy. What are they, eight years old? Milk and, 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 and mini Snickers? Sounds horrible. Imagine how you feel after a while eating uh, just an afternoon, nothing but tall glasses of milk and can- little baby Snickers. How does that power you through the, the, I don't know. the wee hours of the night? Man, it just got long. It got boring. You know what America deserves? I know that they're not going to talk about calling witnesses until after the opening arguments on both sides. So we're like maybe five or six days away from that. I don't think the Republicans are going to take all their time, by the way. But I think we're like five or six days away from that. But what America deserves is Hunter Biden. Because this is so dry and this is so boring (laughs) and so procedural. What we deserve is for Hunter Biden to be called and somebody say, tell me about the stripper you had a baby with when you were dating your your dead brother's wife. Just to add the third ring to the circus. Is that what you mean? Yes. Uh, I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but there has been discussion that Democrats are looking at the potential of exchanging witnesses, uh, which would be making a deal with Republicans to get former National Security Advisor John Bolton as a witness in exchange for Hunter Biden or Hunter and Joe Biden, even though Hunter Biden can really shed no light on the two articles that the president has been impeached on. No, but it does go to show that why was he on that board? And, you know, Republicans still want to investigate Hunter Biden and what he was doing on that board. And I don't have a problem with that because it's a dirty deal. My thing is, what does that have to do with the potential uh, obstruction of Congress article of impeachment? What does that have to do with the abuse of power uh, article? It, it, it doesn't, although I understand why Republicans do want him on that, uh, on that, what is it, witness stand, if you even call it that? All right, so here's the deal. Uh, like you said, opening arguments, uh, they have Democrats, uh, the House Democrats have 24 hours over these next three days to lay out their arguments and we're going to follow it we're going to see how it is that they lay this out i don't know adam schiff referred to it earlier today saying we're going to basically lay out the case we have all the information and evidence that we had um, accumulated in the house investigation we do have some new pieces of evidence that they said that they would introduce as well and as we've seen this is going to be some of the driest political history ever made the house managers will lay out their case for about two hours then they'll take a short recess 
And like you said, it, it's you're not going to have a lot of fireworks Senator, here. We'll now hear you. This uh, we'll, we'll dip in. Listen to this. Adam Schiff is taking the first uh, first charge here. Mr. Chief Justice, Senators, Counsel for the President, and my fellow House Managers, I want to begin uh, by thanking you, Chief Justice, uh, for a very long day, for the way you have presided over these proceedings. And I want to thank the Senators uh, also. Uh, We went well into the morning, as you know, um, until I believe around 2 in the morning. And you paid attention to every word and argument you heard from both sides in this impeachment trial, and I know we are both deeply grateful for that. Um, It was an exhausting day for us, certainly, but we have adrenaline uh, going through our veins, and for those that are required to sit and listen, it is a much more difficult task. And, of course, we know our positions. You have the added difficulty of having to weigh the facts and the law. So I want to begin today by thanking you uh, for the conduct of the proceedings uh, uh, yesterday and for inviting your patience as we go forward. We have some very long days yet to come. So let us begin. When a man, unprincipled in private life, desperate in his fortune, bold in his temper, possessed of considerable talents, having the advantage of military habits, despotic in his ordinary demeanor, known to have scoffed in private at the principles of liberty, when such a man is seen to mount the hobby horse of popularity, to join in the cry of danger to liberty, to take every opportunity of embarrassing the general government and bringing it under suspicion, to flatter and fall in with all the nonsense of the zealots of the day, it may justly be suspected that his object is to throw things into confusion, that he might ride the storm and direct the whirlwind. Those words were written by Alexander Hamilton in a letter to President George Washington at the height of the Panic of 1792, a financial credit crisis that shook our young nation. Hamilton was responding to sentiments relayed to Washington as he traveled the country that America, in the face of that crisis, might descend from a Republican form of government instead into that of monarchy. The framers of the Constitution worried then, as we worry today, that a leader might come to power not to carry out the will of the people that he was elected to represent, but to pursue his own interests. They feared that a president would subvert our democracy by abusing the awesome power of his office for his own personal or political gain. And so they devised a remedy as powerful as the evil it was meant to combat, impeachment. As centuries have passed, our founders have achieved an almost mythical character. We are aware of their flaws, certainly some very painful and pronounced indeed. And yet when it came to the drafting of a new system of government never seen before and with no guarantee it would succeed, We cannot help but be in awe of their genius, their prescience even, vindicated time and time again. Still, and maybe because of their brilliance and the brilliance of their words, we find year after year more difficult to imagine them as human beings, 
This is no less true of Alexander Hamilton, notwithstanding his recent return to celebrity. But they were human beings. They understood human frailties, even as they exhibited them. They could appreciate, just as we can, how power can corrupt. And even as we struggle to understand how the framers might have responded to presidential misconduct of the kind and character that we are here to try, we should not imagine for one moment that they lacked basic common sense or refused to apply it ourselves. They knew what it was like to live under a despot, and they risked their lives to be free of it. They knew they were creating enormously powerful executive, and they knew they needed to constrain it. They did not intend for the power of impeachment to be used frequently or over mere matters of policy, but they put it in the Constitution for a reason, for a man who would subvert the interests of the nation to pursue his own interests, for a man who would seek to perpetuate himself in office by, in by inviting foreign interference and cheating in an election, for a man who would be disdainful of constitutional limit, ignoring or defeating the other branches of government and their co-equal powers, for a man who believed that the Constitution gave him the right to do anything he wanted and practiced in the art of deception, for a man who believed that he was above the law and beholden to no one, for a man, in short, who would be a king. We are here today in this hallowed chamber undertaking this solemn action for only the third time in history because Donald J. Trump, the 45th President of the United States, has acted precisely as Hamilton and his contemporaries feared. President Trump solicited foreign interference in our democratic elections, abusing the power of his office, seek help from abroad to improve his re-election prospects at home. And when he was caught, he used the powers of that office to obstruct the investigation into his own misconduct. To implement this corrupt scheme, President Trump pressured the President of Ukraine to publicly announce investigations into two discredited allegations that would benefit President Trump's 2020 presidential campaign. When the Ukrainian President did not immediately assent, President Trump withheld two official acts to induce the Ukrainian leader to comply, a head of state meeting in the Oval Office and military funding. Both were of great consequence to Ukraine and to our national interest and security, but one looms largest. President Trump withheld hundreds of millions of dollars in military aid to a strategic partner at war with Russia to secure foreign help with his reelection, in other words, to cheat. In this way, the President used official state powers available only to him and unavailable to any political opponent to, ad to advantage himself in a democratic election. His scheme was undertaken for a simple but corrupt reason to help him win re-election in 2020. But the effect of his scheme was to undermine our free and fair elections and to put our national security at risk. It was not even necessary that Ukraine undertake the political investigations the President was seeking. They merely had to announce them. This is significant for President Trump had no interest in fighting corruption, as he would claim after he was caught. Rather, his interest was in furthering corruption by the announcement of investigations that were completely without merit.
The first sham investigation that President Trump desired was into former Vice President Joe Biden, who had sought the removal of a corrupt Ukrainian prosecutor the previous, during the previous U.S. administration. The Vice President acted in accordance with U.S. official policy at the time and was supported unanimously by our European allies and key global financial institutions such as the International Monetary Fund that shared the concern over corruption. Despite this fact, in the course of this scheme, President Trump and his agents pressed the Ukrainian president to announce an investigation into the false claim that Vice President Biden wanted the corrupt prosecutor removed from her in order to stop an investigation into Burisma Holdings, a company on whose board Biden's son, Hunter, sat. This allegation is simply untrue, and it has been widely debunked by Ukrainian and American experts alike. That reality mattered not to President Trump. To him, the value in promoting a negative tale about former Vice President Biden, true or false, was its usefulness to his re-election campaign. It was a smear tactic against a political opponent that President Trump apparently feared. Remarkably, but predictably, Russia, too, has sought this to support this effort to smear Mr. Biden, reportedly hacking into the Ukrainian energy company at the center of the president's disinformation campaign only last week. Russia almost certainly was looking for information related to the former vice president's son so that the Kremlin could also weaponize it against Mr. Biden, just like it did against Hillary Clinton in 2016 when Russia hacked and released emails from her presidential campaign. And President Trump has made it abundantly clear that he would like nothing more than to make use of such dirt against Mr. Biden, just as he made use of Secretary Clinton's hacked and released emails in his previous presidential campaign. Which brings us to the other sham investigation that President Trump demanded that the Ukrainian leader announce. This investigation was related to a debunked conspiracy theory alleging that Ukraine, not Russia, interfered in the 2016 presidential election. This narrative, propagated by the Russian intelligence services, contends that Ukraine to help Hillary Clinton and harm then-candidate Trump, and that a computer server providing this fiction is hidden somewhere in Ukraine. That is the so-called CrowdStrike conspiracy theory. This tale is also patently false, and remarkably, it is precisely the inverse of what the U.S. intelligence community's unanimous assessment was that Russia interfered in the 2016 election in sweeping and systemic fashion in order to hurt Hillary Clinton and help Donald Trump. Nevertheless, the president evidently believed that a public announcement lending credence to these allegations by the Ukrainian president could assist his reelection by putting to rest any doubts Americans may have had over the legitimacy of his first election, even as he invited foreign interference in the next. To the degree that most Americans have followed the president's efforts to involve another foreign power in our election, they may be most familiar with his entreaty to the Ukrainian president on the now infamous July 25th call to do us a favor, though, and investigate Biden and the 2016 conspiracy theory. 
But that call was not the beginning of the story of the President's corrupt scheme, nor was it the end. Rather, it was merely part, although a significant part, of a months-long effort by President Trump and his allies and associates who applied significant and increasing pressure on Ukraine to announce these two politically motivated investigations. Key figures in the Trump administration were aware or directly involved or participated in the scheme. As we saw yesterday, one witness, a million-dollar donor to the President's inaugural committee, put it this way, everyone was in the loop. After twice inviting Ukraine's new President to the White House without providing a specific date for the proposed visit, President Trump conditioned this coveted head of state meeting on the announcement of these sham investigations. For Ukraine's new and untested leader, an official meeting with the President of the United States in the Oval Office was critical. It would help bestow on him important domestic and international legitimacy as he sought to implement an ambitious anti-corruption platform. Actual and apparent support from the President of the United States would also strengthen his position as he sought to negotiate a peace agreement with Russia's President Vladimir Putin, seeking an end to Russia's illegal annexation and continued military occupation of parts of Ukraine. But most pernicious, President Trump conditioned hundreds of millions of dollars in congressionally appropriated, taxpayer-funded military assistance for the same purpose, to apply more pressure on Ukraine's leader to announce the investigations. This military aid, which has long enjoyed bipartisan support, was designed to help Ukraine defend itself from the Kremlin's aggression. More than 15,000 Ukrainians have died fighting Russian forces and their proxies. 15,000. And the military aid was for such essentials as sniper rifles, rocket-propelled grenade launchers, radar, night vision goggles, and other vital support for the war effort. Most critically, the military aid that we provide Ukraine helps to protect and advance American national security interests in the region and beyond. America has an abiding interest in stemming Russian expansionism and resisting any nation's efforts to remake the map of Europe by dint of military force, even as we have tens of thousands of troops stationed there. Moreover, as one witness put it during our impeachment inquiry, the United States aids Ukraine and her people so that we can fight Russia over there and we don't have to fight Russia here. Now, when the President's scheme was exposed and the House of Representatives properly performed its constitutional responsibility to investigate the matter, President of the United States of America to categorically refuse and completely obstruct the House's impeachment investigation. Such a wholesale obstruction of congressional impeachment has never before occurred in our democracy. And it represents one of the most blatant efforts at a cover-up in history. If not remedied by his conviction in the Senate and removal from office, President Trump's abuse of his office and obstruction of Congress will permanently alter the balance of power among the branches of government, inviting future presidents to operate as if they are also beyond the reach of accountability, congressional oversight, and the law. On the basis of this egregious misconduct, the House of Representatives returned two articles of impeachment against the President. 
First charging that President Trump corruptly abused the powers of the presidency to solicit foreign interference in the upcoming presidential election for his personal political benefit. And second, that President Trump obstructed an impeachment inquiry into that abuse of power in order to cover up his misconduct. The House did not take this extraordinarily, extraordinary step lightly. As we will discuss, impeachment exists for cases in which the conduct of the President rises beyond mere policy disputes to be decided otherwise and without urgency at the ballot box. Instead, we are here today to consider a much more grave matter, and that is an attempt to use the powers of the presidency to cheat in an election. For precisely this reason, the president's misconduct cannot be decided at the ballot box, for we cannot be assured that the vote will be fairly won. In corruptly using his office to gain a political advantage, in abusing the powers of that office in such a way to jeopardize our national security and the integrity of our elections, in obstructing the investigation into his own wrongdoing, the President has shown that he believes that he's above the law and scornful of constraint. As we saw yesterday on the screen, that under Article 2, he could do anything he wants. Moreover, given the seriousness of the conduct at issue and its persistence, this matter cannot and must not be decided by the courts, which, apart from the presence of the Chief Justice here today, are given no role in impeachments in either the House or the Senate. Being drawn into litigation taking many months or years to complete would provide the President with an opportunity to continue his misconduct. He would remain secure in the knowledge that he may tie up the Congress in the courts indefinitely, as he has with Don McGahn, rendering the impeachment power effectively meaningless. We also took this step with the knowledge that this was not the first time the President solicited foreign interference in our elections. In 2016, then-candidate Trump implored Russia to hack his opponent's email account, something that the Russian military agency did only hours later. Only hours later. When the president said, hey, Russia, if you're listening, they were listening. Only hours later, they hacked his opponent's campaign. And the president has made it clear this will also not be the last time asking China only recently to join Ukraine in investigating his political opponent. Over the coming days, we will present to you and to the American people the extensive evidence collected during the House's impeachment inquiry into the President's abuse of power. Overwhelming evidence. Notwithstanding his unprecedented and wholesale obstruction of the investigation into that misconduct. All right, we're listening to uh, Congressman Adam Schiff, of course, the lead impeachment manager, laying out the uh, the case against Donald Trump in the impeachment trial that's taking place in the Senate. Went through the two articles of impeachment, uh, the abuse of power and the obstruction of Congress, and is laying out again the the difficult part of this is that there's going to be a not a lot of new information that's coming out in these 24 hours. It's just basically the 
condensed version of what we saw in the House over the several dozen hours of investigations, evidence finding, testimony, etc. Hours and hours, 24 hours to make their case over the next three days. This is after 13 hours of procedural votes yesterday. I think we can all agree this is Job Appreciation Day. We're not stuck in the Senate chamber eating water and milk and only candy and listening to Adam Schiff ad nauseum. Yeah, we don't know how long this is going to go, if he's going to turn it over to other people of, of the their other seven House, sorry, other six House managers that are there and are going to be arguing this case. But this is we're going to be watching through this, keeping this on. Uh, We'll dip back into it a couple of different places uh, throughout the course of our show. But if you're poor in pavement today, be thankful that you don't have to be in that chamber. And if you are poor in pavement today, here's the thousand bucks we can give you. For your chance at a thousand bucks, text the nationwide keyword cash, C-A-S-H, to 200-200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. That's cash to 200-200. Winners pick up the phone. Losers don't answer the phone. We have another chance an hour from now for you to win a 1000 bucks. In fact, every hour through 620 tonight, we give away $1,000 an hour on KFI. Seven on this seven, seven. Never been this close to heaven. Got a pretty turned up to 11. Dropping on day. Somebody better call a doctor. She's a little hard stopper. I'm talking break a break a one-nighter. She's a Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Well, the house managers have begun presenting their case for removing the president from office in this impeachment trial today. Adam Schiff, the lead manager, kicking it off. The representatives from the House have 24 hours spread over three days to present the evidence and convince senators. They also haven't said, at least the the House managers haven't said, if they're going to use all of their 24 hours. And I haven't seen the rules if they can hold some of their opening statement time say they give four or five hours and that they you know they finish in 19 hours that sounds ridiculous but they finish in 19 hours can they save the other five hours for rebuttal from i don't think there's a rebuttal phase i don't think so either no and i don't think that you're going to see senate republicans use all their time or the republicans use what what do you cured meats smell fantastic what kind of meat is that that's chorizo that smells really good. Would you like some? <laughs> no, I'm fine. Okay. Are you just hungry because you know that the senators can only have water, milk, and candy? There is something about that. that yeah. But, I mean, they get to break. What we have learned is that they will break between speakers. Adam Schiff, of course, the lead impeachment manager now, and he's going through some of the things. So we'll get into this. But we do know that they are going to break between speakers so they can get a handful of candy. Yeah, it does give me a food, a food security issue when I think about the 13 hours <laughs> they put in yesterday with only small breaks. <laughs> with only milk. And water. All right, here's uh, here's Adam Schiff continuing his argument. With a second evil contemplated by the founders who made it clear that the president ought not operate beyond the limits placed on him by legislative and judicial branches. Impeachment was warranted for a president who usurped the power of the Constitution that was not granted to him, such as to defy Congress the right to determine the propriety, the scope, and the nature of an impeachment inquiry into his own misconduct. The framers fashioned a powerful chief executive, but not one beyond accountability of law. When a president wields power in ways that are inappropriate and seek to distinguish the rights of the Congress, he exceeds the power of his constitutional authority and violates the limits placed on his conduct. Obstruction of a separate and co-equal branch of government 
for the purposes of covering up an abuse of power not only implies a corrupt intent, but also demonstrates a remarkable antipathy towards the balance of power contemplated and enshrined in our Constitution. It is a betrayal of the President's sacred oath of office and of his duty to put the country before himself. On September 24, 2019, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi announced that the House of Representatives would move forward with an official impeachment inquiry into President Donald J. Trump. The announcement followed public reporting in the United States and Ukraine that the President and his agents sought Ukraine's help in his re-election effort and revelations that the White House was blocking from Congress an intelligence community whistleblower complaint possibly related to this grave offense. The next day, on September 25th, under extraordinary pressure, the White House released publicly the record of the July 25th call between President Trump and Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. The call record revealed that President Trump explicitly requested that the new leader undertake investigations beneficial to President Trump's re-election campaign. Upon release of the record of the call, President Trump claimed that the call was perfect. Far from perfect, the call record revealed a president who used his high office to personally and directly press the leader of a foreign country to do his political dirty work. Asking for a favor, President Trump insisted that President Zelensky investigate a formidable potential political opponent, former Vice President Joe Biden, as well as the baseless conspiracy theory that Ukraine, not Russia, interfered in the 2016 election to, to assist then-candidate Trump's opponent. Witnesses who listened to the call as it transpired testified that they immediately recognized these requests did not represent official U.S. policy and instead were politically charged appeals not appropriate for a president to make. Key witnesses emphasized it was not necessary that Ukraine actually undertake the investigations, only that the Ukrainian president announce them. President Trump's objective was not to encourage a foreign government to investigate legitimate allegations of misconduct or wrongdoing abroad, made clear as well by the fact that the investigations he wanted announced have been discredited entirely. Rather, the president simply wanted to reap a political benefit by tarnishing a political rival and attempting to erase from history his previous election misconduct. To compel the Ukrainian president to do his political dirty work, President Trump withheld from President Zelensky two official acts of great importance, that coveted White House meeting, to which the President Zelensky had already been invited, and $391 million in military assistance Ukraine needed to fight the Russians. For a strategic partner of the United States in a hot war with Russian-backed forces inside its own borders, the symbolic support conferred on it by an Oval Office visit with the President of the United States and the life-saving support of our military aid was essential. As the House's presentation will make clear in directly soliciting foreign interference and withholding those official acts, 
in exchange for the announcement of political investigations. You're listening to Adam Schiff, the lead manager from the House, uh, making his case to remove the president from office. He's obviously not going with this short-winded approach. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, he's been been repeating some of the same things over and over again. In fact, using some of the same uh, cliches over and over again. But uh, as we know, there are seven total impeachment managers uh, for the House who will be presenting this case. And uh, the assumption is that each of them may take a a different tack to it and then using different evidence. He being the lead impeachment manager, Adam Schiff, is setting the table here. Chief Justice John Roberts, who, of course, is overseeing all of this, will be uh, allowing the senators to take a break in between speakers. We just have no real good idea as to when Adam Schiff is going to wrap up his, uh, his, I guess you'd call it the opening. So we'll take a quick break, uh, come back, and bring you all the uh, pertinent information, see if he wraps this up before the top of the hour. Kills me, makes me feel alive. Let's dip back into this. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Adam Schiff, the lead impeachment manager, sounds like he's starting to wrap up his portion of what will be the opening statements today. It's not impeachable. Then nothing is. Let me take a moment to describe to you how we intend to present the case over the coming days. Okay. Today you will hear the details of the president's corrupt scheme in narrative form, illustrating the timeline of the effort through the testimony of numerous witnesses who came before the House, as well as the documents and materials we collected as evidence during the investigation. After you hear the factual chronology, We will then discuss the constitutional framework of impeachment as it was envisioned by the founders. Before we analyze how the facts of the president's misconduct and cover-up lead to the conclusion that the president undertook the sort of corrupt course of conduct that impeachment was intended to remedy. Let me start with a preview of the president's scheme, the details of which you'll hear during the course of this day. President Trump's month-long scheme, months-long scheme to extract help in his 2020 re-election campaign from the new Ukrainian president involved an effort to solicit and then compel the new leader to announce political investigations. The announcement would reference, reference two specific investigations. One was intended to undermine the unanimous consensus of our intelligence agencies, Congress, and Special Counsel Robert Mueller, that Russia interfered in the 2016 election to help then-candidate Trump and another to hurt the presidency of former Vice President Joe Biden. The Kremlin itself has been responsible for first propagating one of the two false narratives that the president desired. In February 2017, less than a month after the U.S. intelligence community released its assessment that Russia alone was responsible for a covert influence campaign designed to help President Trump win the 2016 election, President Putin said, as we all know, during the presidential campaign in the United States, the Ukrainian government adopted a unilateral position in favor of one of the candidates, in favor of one candidate. More than that, certain oligarchs, certainly with the approval of political leadership, funded this candidate 
or female candidate, to be more precise. Those were Putin's words, February 2, 2017. Of course, this is false and is part of a Russian counter-narrative that President Trump and some of his allies have adopted. Fiona Hill, Senior Director for Europe and Russia at the National Security Council, described Russia's effort to promote this baseless theory. Based on questions and statements I've heard, some of you on this committee appear to believe that Russia and its security services did not conduct a campaign against our country, and that perhaps, somehow, for some reason, Ukraine did. This is a fictional narrative that has been perpetrated and propagated by the Russian security services themselves. The unfortunate truth is that Russia was the foreign power that systematically attacked our democratic institutions in 2016. This is the public conclusion of our intelligence agencies confirmed in bipartisan congressional reports. It is beyond dispute, even if some of the underlying details must remain classified. This, of course, was not the first time that President Trump embraced Russian activity and disinformation. On July 24 of last year, Special Counsel Robert Mueller testified before Congress that Russia interfered in the 2016 election in a, quote, sweeping and systemic fashion to benefit Donald Trump's political campaign. Mueller and his team found that, quote, the Russian government perceived that it would benefit from a Trump presidency and work to secure that outcome. They also found that the Trump campaign expected it would benefit electorally from information Seems stolen we're, uh, and released the scope. through Russian efforts yeah. uh, today. Yeah. I, and just as he solicited help from Ukraine and now that in 2019, I thought that sounded like he was going to wrap it up, it looks like Adam Schiff is going to go for some time. No, he did an hour of preamble, and now he's saying uh, basically the case that they are going to lay out with different evidence today. It's a multimedia presentation. They're using video from several different people as they uh, as they try to convince the senators to remove the president from office. And again, this is all a procedure that's going to end with nothing because they don't have the votes in the Senate to do so. By the way, that what they're playing right now was from the president in 2016, suggesting that Russia hack into the uh, and find Hillary Clinton's 30,000 emails. So I've we've, seen this we've, movie before. Yeah, we've now expanded. We're going back in time even That's what I'm saying. Now. We've expanded the scope uh, quite a lot. Listen, we will keep an eye on this, and we will bring you all the big bullet points that come out of the rest of Adam Schiff's opening statement. But there was a big story yesterday, and it's that San Bernardino County apparently still believes in the death penalty. Remember the McStay family that disappeared? It found out that they were murdered including two young kids, and it was all about greed. Well, the guy who murdered this family was handed down the death penalty yesterday. We'll be talking to the prosecutor who handled the case coming up next. Gary and Shannon will continue right after this. Gary and Shannon... KFI AM 640 live everywhere on that iHeartRadio app. The U.S. Senate hearing opening arguments in President Trump's impeachment trial. Democratic House managers have begun making their case. Adam Schiff up first that the president abused power should be removed from office. The big quote in the past hour that's been the takeaway is if this is not an impeachable offense, nothing is, according to Adam Schiff. We'll keep an eye on that. Um, again, this is a very little new information. Uh, it's just uh, laid together in a very legalistic way. And um, 
We're going to see Adam Schiff go f- apparently for for quite some time before they take a break. We will. Uh, we're recording it, watching it, making sure that if anything important happens, we'll bring that to you. It's one of the pictures that'll probably be burned in my brain at least for uh, ever because of the sweetness and the warmness of the picture of the McStay family. This was the family that went missing in 2010, and they continued to be missing for three years until their bodies were found. Yesterday, a business associate of the dad was convicted and sentenced yesterday, excuse me, to death in San Bernardino County. The one who uh, tried this case for the county, for the people, was uh, supervising County Deputy DA Britt Imes from San Bernardino, and Britt joins us right now. Um, Listen, Counselor, this apparently was a very long slog. I mean, a six-month trial is pretty, pretty ridiculous. Uh, good morning, and yes, thank you for asking me to be on. And yes, uh, six months just in trial alone, probably the longest trial any of uh, us three counsel had tried. Uh, it was a long slog. One of the moments that stuck out to me during the trial is when Joseph McStay's mother was on the witness stand openly crying, and she's remembering the moment when she gets the phone call that they've found the bodies. And she says, uh, it can't be. And she asked the person on the other side of the phone, what about the little guys? And that, to me, stuck out as just a truly emotional moment. That is just one of many emotional moments throughout the trial um, to listen to the anguish of that grandmother and mother um, who is haunted by nightmares, really even to this day. But that's, you know, just equally matched by the brother who lost his big brother who helped him start his business and then, you know, uh, Joseph left behind a, a 12-year-old at the time, Jonah, uh, who's turning into a successful young man, and to listen to this young man's story of how he grew up without a father due to this crime is just as heart-wrenching. Take us through the greed that prompted these murders. So Joseph ran a two-pronged business. One was a drop ship of pre-made fountains, uh, like if you were to order a tabletop fountain for your coworker. Um, but he also employed uh, the defendant to build custom waterfalls for, like, a restaurant. And, in fact, one of them is in downtown L.A. that the defendant's so proud about. And in that, during the course of that, he would be paid for these projects. And then somewhere in there, the defendant started misappropriating funds that were allocated for projects that were not completed or ultimately not completed on time. He would divert them to personal projects. But then um, Joseph brought in another contractor, uh, Metro Sheet Metal, to start doing a lot of the fabrication. And we were able to document over time, uh, even the defense experts pointed out and had to concede that um, the defendant was being pushed to the sideline and Metro Sheet Metal was taking up more of the business. That then led to a series of mysterious transactions on Joseph's QuickBook account where checks were being made out to the defendant on accounts that didn't exist previously, were checks cashed to the defendant. Um, and that is not to mention an accounting that occurred right before February 4th, the key date, that showed the defendant owed a substantial tens of thousands of dollars uh, to Joseph for botched jobs, uh, incomplete jobs, and overpayments. Now, there's there's other evidence, some of it circumstantial, at least that it puts uh, it puts Chase Merritt at the home, the McStay home, the night of the murders. Can you explain some of that? 
So there were two pieces of evidence or types of evidence that linked Mr. Merritt to um, the victim's home on February 4th. The first is his cell phone activity. Leading up to and just after 5.30 p.m. on February 4th, his cell phone either goes off, out of signal range, or into airplane mode, and there is no contact with him for almost four hours. But prior to that, it appeared he pinged off a tower south of his residence, which one could infer circumstantially he was traveling southbound, and I don't know how the jury interpreted that. But during that four hours, his um, mother of his children repeatedly called that number, and it went straight to voicemail. Then there was the surveillance video from a home across the street that picked up what appeared to be a vehicle leaving the McStay residence at a particular time, driving down the street, and then hitting its brakes for some reason. Um, and it was a very limited, very grainy piece of video. And there is several uh, interpretations of that evidence. Our expert that we put on said that it had certain characteristics consistent with the defendant's truck. Now, this defendant has remained defiant. He has remained uh, unmoving when it comes to him claiming that he is innocent. And I cannot I cannot even imagine the amount of frustration that I would feel if I was a family member of, of one of the murdered. I would imagine that those victim impact statements that you went through during the sentencing phase were quite emotional. Those were extremely emotional, and like, and like I mentioned, it was not much different than the emotions drawn out from Susan or Michael's testimony, but to hear from Jonah, to hear from Tracy, um, they're heart-wrenching. But most notably, if anyone was watching and you watched the defendant, he stared at them like they were, he was watching television, showed absolutely no emotion as he did through the entire trial, and the only time he showed emotion – was when he was proclaiming his innocence and the effect it would have on his life and his family and the fact that he faced the death penalty. The fact that he could not even show emotion towards them was quite telling to a lot of onlookers. What a psychopath narcissist. <laughs> well, I, I kept through this entire trial saying we have more evidence than Scott Peterson. Scott Peterson, you know, uh, proclaimed his innocence and probably still does to this day. Yeah. Britt Imes is the supervising county deputy DA for San Bernardino uh, and was was – trying this case that ended yesterday in the death sentence for Chase Merritt. Um, is it is it frustrating? Does it play into your your math at all that where we are as a state when it comes to actual actually following through on death penalties? I mean, you're talking about a legal question and a political question. The political question, obviously, Gavin Newsom has staked his claim as where he stands, and that's his prerogative. However, legally... Uh, the laws are still on the books. The voters keep reaffirming their belief in the death penalty, most recently with Prop 66, which was an attempt to speed it up. But even more telling, across this state, jurors from all walks of life still continue to impose the death penalty when sought in appropriate cases. Our state at some point has to recognize that there is a reason we have the death penalty, and it's for those types of killers that engage in conduct that our society won't, won't tolerate. And the fact that it's still being imposed by jurors across the state is quite telling. Absolutely. And if it's not for somebody who kills a mother and a father and two little boys, three and four years old, I don't know who else it would be for. Well said, Britt. Appreciate your time. Congratulations on the verdict and the sentence. 
Again, thank you, and I appreciate you guys asking me to come on today. Absolutely. Britt Imes, then, uh, again, Supervising County Deputy DA for San Bernardino. Uh, death sentence handed down yesterday to Charles Merritt. All right. Now what? Well, I think we should go back to Washington, just yeah. check in on uh, Shifty Shift over here. Oh, look at you, nicknamey person. Then National Security Advisor I meant John after Bolton the break. On oh, after the break. We also have $1,000 after the break Ooh, as well. Ooh, that's a better idea. Yeah. Gary and Shannon will continue in a moment. <laughs> Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. This just in. Told you about the coronavirus that has continued to spread across China and nearby countries, including, I don't know, our country that's not so nearby. 17 people have died. That number tripled in one day. And they say that the virus is going to mutate as well. Uh, This just in. All public transport in the Wuhan area which was ground zero for this, including local buses, long-distance buses, subway, ferry, all of it have been shut down. All flights, trains set to leave have been canceled. Wow. I read a... They're uh, just cutting these people off. I read a headline in a, a British paper today that said that they're, they're certain, at least some of the doctors there are certain, that they already have at least one case there in Great Britain. Not because it's been diagnosed yet, just by the chances that someone's been, you know, traveling and before we had a before this became a real big deal that someone contracted and came back into the uh, Great Britain area, just like we saw in Washington state. Uh, So that's not good. Also, you know, the other big trial that's going on today is uh, Harvey Weinstein opening statements today. And uh, we've been keeping an eye on that and see if anything interesting is coming out of that. But. Of course, we are watching the impeachment. We'll get to that in just a moment. But first, we got a thousand bucks to give away. Here's how you can win it. For your chance at a thousand bucks, text the nationwide keyword change, C H A N G E, to 200 200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. That's change to 200 200. And remember, you got to pick up the phone. If you don't, your money goes away. Hot tip is it looks like it'll start with a 513 area code. Your next chance to win next hour. And every hour, 5 a.m. to 620 right here on KFI Monday through Friday. As they've been laying out this case, uh, Adam Schiff of the lead impeachment manager is there and he's been speaking for a little more than an hour now. Sort of the opening statement uh, laying the table for the six other House impeachment managers who will present portions of the case over the next few days. Uh, this this sort of boils down to, uh, you know, Democrats at this point, 47 of them who believe that the president committed high crimes and misdemeanors and needs to be removed from office. The 47 that uh, basically have voted that way over the course of the last 24 hours. And then you've got the 53 Republicans who either believe that he did something wrong And it doesn't rise to the level of impeachment or don't believe that he did anything wrong in the first place and that this has been a sham investigation. And I I wish there was a way to give them different options to vote for, you know, because on the Democrat side, I would want to I would want there to be like two options. Number one, I've hated this guy from the beginning and I want him out of office. I don't care what these charges are, what anything any, anybody says, Jerry Nadler, Adam Schiff. I don't care what they say. I just hate the guy and I want him out of office. Yeah, but they wouldn't admit to that. I know, but I'm just saying this is my fantasy land. This oh, I'm is where sorry. unicorns will deliver the ballots to each senator. Okay. The second one is 
I've objectively looked at the evidence, and I believe that these were high crimes and misdemeanors and that the president should be removed from office. And then on the Republican side, or those who are going to support the president, I want there to be two options as well. Number one, this is a sham impeachment that was started five years ago and needs to end today. Or I've objectively listened to the evidence, and I don't believe that this rises to the level of the president being removed from office. I feel like objectivity is not something that is in high supply inside this chamber. And, and, and even if... Even if the Supreme Court, you know, the justice, chief justice of the Supreme Court admonishes you and says this is the most hallowed deliberative body in the world, we need to make sure we stay objective and everybody just rolls their eyes at him. Did the president withhold aid or threaten to withhold aid, wink, wink, nod, nod uh, from Ukraine if they didn't investigate what Biden was doing on that board? Probably is that does that happen from time to time between governments asking a foreign government to go after a political ally? Maybe it probably does. We'll see. And and I don't like the I don't like the parallel because it's a different time and it's a different administration. But the parallel of Joe Biden's comments about getting rid of the uh, the what was it the prosecutor that they were trying to get rid of. In exchange for the billion dollars that were supposed to be going there at the same time that his son was working on. the uh, Right. Listen, it's just it's it, all dirty. It is all dirty. So it's like, why this dirt right now? Well, because you've got of uh, close to 50 people who, like you said, hate this president. Yeah. You know, and, and and I don't fault Joe Biden entirely for his son. His son's a bad seed with making uh, bad decisions all the time. Uh. <laughs> This is know. this is going to be an interesting. I find clearly, it hard to believe that when people try to pretend like it never happened, haven't we heard from enough people that who were on that call that right. yes, it did happen? Yeah, that's the other thing. What Adam Schiff has been doing so far in laying out the case, he re- referred to timelines, uh, laying out the timeline of all of this with documents and interviews, et cetera, that were inter, uh, which which were entered into evidence when the House was doing its investigation. There's still one of the main problems that Democrats have had with their case is they're talking with people who talked with people. They're, you know, you're, you're hearing from people who overheard a conversation about the conversation and not from the people directly involved with all of this. The other thing about this, you know, John Bolton's name keeps coming up as a potential witness to be called by Democrats. Are they certain they know what John Bolton's going to say? I know he referred to this whole thing as a drug deal, but he wasn't referring to the president's conversation with this. He was referring specifically to Ambassador Sondland and Rudy Giuliani and what they were doing in Ukraine. Right. Yes, it may have been at the behest of the president, but John Bolton, I still think he's kind of a wild he's, card. I was just going to say he is a wild card. When we sat down with him, I couldn't figure out what to make out of him yeah. at the convention in Cleveland. Uh, Trump himself said today he wants his top aides to testify, but he qualified that by suggesting that national security concerns would keep that from happening. So there's that as well. He also was toying with one of the reporters when one reporter asked him, well, wouldn't you like to go? Wouldn't you like to be there? And he's like, oh, yeah, I'd like to sit in a front row, which it's not how it works. But <laughs> that would be. And there's no way he has attention span to sit through this garble. <laughs> All right. More coming up next.
Gary and Shannon, KFI AM640, live everywhere on the iHeart Radio app. Representative Adam Schiff continuing to speak to the Senate. He is the lead impeachment manager for the Democrats, presenting the case against the president. He began by telling the Senate that House Democrats will present an overwhelming and damning picture of the president's alleged misconduct with regard to Ukraine. The hashtag Adam Schiff rocks is trending on Twitter right now. I find that really uh, hard to believe. We were listening for uh, for a lot of what uh, Congressman Schiff was talking about um, in terms of his laying out the narrative form of the allegations against the president when it comes to the two articles of impeachment, the abuse of power, and the uh, obstruction of Congress. And we will continue to watch this. Uh, we've said this repeatedly, but it – They're not laying out new information. They're just taking the information that they had gathered from the House, at least to this point, the information they gathered in the House investigations and are using it in their uh, outlining of the case. The House impeachment managers have 24 hours over the course of the next three days to lay out their case. And then the president's defense team has 24 hours over the three days after that to lay out their case as well. Then we get to 16 hours of written questions that the senators write and then present to the chief justice. The chief justice is the one who asks the questions, 16 hours of that. After that is when they decide whether or not they're going to hear from witnesses or introduce any new documents, et cetera. So it's going to be a long couple of weeks. Adam Schiff rocks may be trending, but it's low on the list. America and Twitter know what's important because Mr. Peanut is the number one trending item on that platform. It's all about a Super Bowl ad. Mr. Peanut gives his life to save Wesley Snipes. From Planters Peanuts. Yes. People are very upset about it. Nick included. Nick very, was beside himself. Very this 2020. Morning. Yeah, I know. <laughs> We're dealing with the third impeachment in the history of our country, and Mr. Peanut is trending higher. Harvey Weinstein is the topic in Manhattan. His criminal trial began today. Prosecutors telling a jury in opening arguments that Harvey Weinstein viciously raped multiple women decades apart, relying on his status as a Hollywood power broker to make sure they would never speak up about this abuse. The uh, the two women that he's accused of, at least uh, accused of assaulting in the case in Manhattan, Mimi Haley, and an aspiring actress, but uh, you were going to have a hard time finding her name. She identifies as the victim of a sexual assault. Each of the women say that Weinstein raped them. Now, the way that the prosecutors have been laying this out, the assistant DA, Megan Hast, told the courtroom this morning, during this trial, you're going to learn the defendant was a savvy New York City businessman, that he was a famous and powerful Hollywood producer living a lavish lifestyle, and most of us will never know, and you will come to learn, most of us will not want to know. I love it when they do that, when prosecutors do that. They ingratiate themselves to the jury by saying things like us, and we'll never know how it is. I'm make, just like you are. I'm just like you are, and it's us against this guy. Uh The prosecutor then walked past the jurors talking about the women. And the first woman that they brought up was the Sopranos actress who is expected to testify and alleged that he burst into her New York apartment in the early 90s and raped her. Annabella. Siora. Siora. Yes. Now, her 
her case actually falls outside of the statute of limitations, but... Shows a pattern of behavior. Shows that pattern of behavior, and the judge is going to allow this. Three other witnesses are also going to testify against him over the course of this trial. Um, and this it's important because this is the type of case that we saw against Bill Cosby as well, where women who alleged assault, uh, who alleged assaults that were not charged were also allowed to testify in his case. Harvey Weinstein allegedly used his power and his prestige to draw this women close to him, and Mimi Haley uh, originally thought her connection with Harvey Weinstein was going to lead to job opportunities, but instead, during a meeting in his apartment in 2006, she says Harvey Weinstein pushed her down on a bed and forcibly performed a sex act on her. Uh, She begged him to stop. We don't have to get into that next detail. Holy cow, I forgot about that part. Yeah. Oh, God. There, uh, you're right. I can't even. No. There's no reason why to get into that. No. Let's just say that he's a brutal uh, a-hole. Uh, after the prosecutor spoke, attorney Damon Sharonis offered his opening statement in Weinstein's defense, arguing that his relationships with the women were consensual. And called the prosecutor's version of events inexplicable. He said the truth doesn't change when the articles came out in 2017 and what we are going to do throughout the course of the trial is to show you the truth. He's talking about the New York Times and New Yorker exposés that took down Weinstein's career. Yeah. Victim is a conclusion that is only made after the case. It's your job to be patient and wait for after cross-examinations. We're going to ask real questions in this case. The other thing about this Harvey Weinstein has a woman as part of his defense team. And one of the things that, I mean, as a very, she she may be a fantastic lawyer, but it's also very important that if he's going to defend himself against these allegations, that he do so with a woman on his legal team. Absolutely. If nothing else, just for the optics of it, for the, you know, if if you have any doubt about it, at least he can have, uh, you know, he can point to the fact that he's got a woman standing next to him every day of this trial. It's going to last for a couple of months. Gary and Shannon will continue. Remember that Grammy CEO? Oh, speaking of, this is a weird story. I thought it was weird from go. I was like, what's going on with this Grammy CEO? She's let go for misconduct. There's got to be something meaty here. Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640 Live, everywhere on the iHeart Radio app on this Wednesday, January 22nd. Starting to see the beginnings of the case. House impeachment managers led by Congressman Adam Schiff standing in front of the Senate, arguing in the impeachment trial of the president, talking about the deal with Ukraine and the two articles of impeachment that they derived from that, the abuse of power, and the obstruction of Congress counts, the articles, I should say. Uh, Adam Schiff has been going for about an hour and a half, laying out what he says is his narrative form of what happened with the uh, timeline, documents. He's been playing clips from interviews of people who testified before the House as well. 
Uh, we will continue to watch that. We're not going to dip in right now, but we'll continue to watch that and uh, see if there's anything significant, anything new that comes out of that. But it is on. It's in uh, it's top of mind for a lot of people. Well, the ousted Grammy's CEO has fired back at the Recording Academy, saying that she was removed after complaining about sexual harassment and pay disparities and calling out conflicts of interest in the nomination process for the Grammys. Her name is Deborah Dugan. She was placed on administrative leave last week after six months on the job, and she has filed a discrimination complaint with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. She says she was sexually harassed by the Academy's general counsel, Joe Katz. He has denied this. She says Katz called her baby, told her that she was pretty, tried to kiss her after she made it clear she was not interested in his advances. Yeah, he also says that the meeting, uh, the dinner meeting that they had was in a restaurant with a lot of other people, although she describes it as having been a, uh, I guess, a meeting at his request in Laguna Niguel. She says that Joel Katz chose a very expensive restaurant, ordered an outrageously expensive bottle of wine. Throughout the dinner, he acted extremely inappropriate. So, well, there's that allegation. Here's another one. She says that the whole thing is corrupt. The whole uh, voting process for the Grammy Awards is corrupt. She said that the uh, the nomination committee is allowed to push forward artists with whom they have professional relationships. And says it's not unusual for artists who have relationships with board members and who ranked at the bottom of the initial 20 artist list to end up receiving those nominations that the Recording Academy manipulates nominations to ensure that certain songs or albums are nominated when the producer of the show wants a particular song performed live. Can we just pull the car over real quick? Yeah. Did anyone think it was a clean process, these awards shows? It's all dirty. Here's one of the big ones, though. Um, She says that her predecessor, Neil Portnow, now she, he was making like a, million and a half dollars a year, whatever it was, as the uh, as the CEO of the Recording Academy. She says, number one, she did not want to rehire him as a consultant for $750,000 a year, but that she was she, she was receiving pressure from the board to do so. Here's the other thing. She claims that she was told May of last year that Neil Portnow had raped an unidentified foreign female recording artist and that the Recording Academy knew all about this, although that when they presented it, supposedly, she says, they were trying to pretend like it was an unknown thing, that this was the first time that they'd ever known about it. So this is a bombshell for the whole thing, especially considering the Grammys come up on Sunday night. And I don't know how this is yeah, going to play just, out. I don't and- know. It- why they think that the Grammys had such a clean image to begin with. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a reason why we have all those golden mics in the newsroom. I mean, you wouldn't believe the stuff Chris Little has had to do to get us those mics. You know what I mean? I would Awards. be curious to know if he'd be willing to accept. <laughs> well, that was quite a side <laughs> look he gave you. I'm, I'm just going to give you a side look. I've had to do a lot. <laughs> um, you guys have kicked some butt, though. We did. We did. We have kicked some serious ass. I have zero. I feel bad about my that. My name is not on one of I've, those awards. I've offered to give you one of my five. I, I think. appreciate that. Actually, 
I am going to go put my microphone in that case and see if anybody notices it. That was given to you by the girls' volleyball team. Yeah. And that's really sweet, but that's not a golden mic. It's a golden mic, but it's not a golden mic award. Really? How much more... Which one of my okay award in that? Who case? changed the world the world more, you or me? Which one of my golden mics would you like to borrow for for the week? The now ousted CEO of the Grammys, Deborah Dugan, apparently was close to reaching an agreement before she was put on leave. Her attorney told the Recording Academy that she was going to pursue legal claims in late December, so they began to negotiate a resolution. They had nearly arrived at an agreement in principle, but the Academy eventually backed out of the deal, and the board presented a new unfavorable deal, and that's why she came forward, decided to uh, decided to bounce, uh, saying that she was ousted after she reported that. You were the morning anchor for 12 years. Kristen, submit one of your newscasts for best newscast. Oh, it wasn't up to See, me. It'd be up to that's him. How, that's how it went. Wow. I, to be honest... I. I'll say this because I don't have any. I wasn't. That's not what motivated me. Yeah, they're great and they're they're a great accomplishment. And you have fifty of them. And I get it. You do it for the team, Gary, not for your own. Except for Shannon, not for. I know. Team. Listen, I'll say this. I know that my fingerprints are on some of those awards. Yes. All right. That's it. That's all I want. That's all you need. That's okay. all I need. That's I. I have the. Uh, I have the acknowledgement that I need. All right, but just to know that you're the best in L.A. at something is pretty awesome when it comes to reporting. It's L.A. It's the second biggest market in the country. There is a lot of competition. There is. There was a major competition between Steve Gregory and Chris and Carla. I know. I heard it got dirty. Oh, yeah. All right. Speaking of dirty, we'll talk trending and go back to Washington. Coming up next. God, I didn't go. Why would you say that at lunchtime? <laughs> have you no dignity? Speaking of lunchtime, yeah, what's up? I have a big announcement. What? We have a news and brews coming up oh, next Friday. It's on the books, January thirty first. Next Friday, we will be at HQK's Bar and Grill. HK's. Bar and Grill in Rancho Cucamonga. Chris, are you going to be there? Uh, I'll be here, but uh, I know people there who will be there. They ask me about it all the time. Do they really? A guy named Tony. Oh. A guy named Dwayne. And and a woman named Trudy. Do you know Harold? Uh, I do. Well, I think so. Harold, the owner of HKs. The oh, that H Harold. In the HKs. Oh, who? Uh, he's expected, uh, he's pretty excited to have us back. We're no, glad I know to the be K back. guy. He's been, we've been there a couple times, I think. Um, but you can follow us on social media at Gary and Shannon. That's where you'll find information also on the website at KFIAM640.com. Chris Little, you should call in sick and Use join us. Okay. Keyword Gary and Shannon. I could have Layla work for me. Well, of course. There you go. Um, this is our first news and brews of 2020. Uh, HK says that they may be able to throw some specials our way as well, which I mean, is nice. You are the boss. You're not the boss for nothing. Yeah, but you don't get to just make uh, decisions willy nilly. Well, yes, then why do. be the boss? I don't. That's a great question. Article two of the K 
KFI Constitution allows you to do whatever the hell you want. Let me see. Oh, you're right. See, I, mean, I you told could, you. You could spill popcorn all over that board if you wanted. I'd rather spill coffee. <laughs> I do have a correction to make. Last segment, we were talking about the fact I have zero awards in that case. Yeah. There is one in there that I do, uh, that was a newscast that I did. It was one of the AP awards. You know what? I thought you won something. And I threw my award in there as well, so you can check it out. Oh, I'm going to go see it yeah, right go now. Go look at it. It's very nice. I'm glad awards mean nothing to you. What else is going on? <laughs> Time for <laughs> What's Happening. Well, we've been telling you about it all day. The House managers are in the Senate delivering opening arguments. Adam Schiff won't shut the hell up. He's been talking since the show started at 10. Very detailed plan that he is laying out about why the senators should kick the president out of office. Um, he explains, or I should say uh, begs, the senators to allow what he calls a fair trial here. You will hear from witnesses who have not yet testified, like John Bolton and Mick Mulvaney, Mr. Blair and Mr. Duffy. And if you can believe the president's words last month, you will also hear from Secretary Pompeo. You will hear their testimony at the same time as the American people. That is, if you allow it, if we have a fair trial. Ah. Okay. Of course, the crux of the case is the allegation that the president withheld military aid and a White House meeting to pressure Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden, as well as his son, Hunter Biden, who sat on that powerful energy board for no reason. His big takeaway quote so far is, if this is not impeachable, nothing is. (laughs) If every one of us is super, then no one is. Um, There is a great story that I think is going to blow up. It's the fact that two U.N. experts are calling for an investigation into the accusation that Saudi Arabia's crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, hacked into Jeff Bezos's phone after uh, after there was a WhatsApp message that uh, that bin Salman sent to him. You can hack into someone's phone uh, through WhatsApp? It's a, it was a video file. That file was supposed to be a Trojan horse that then uh, huge data dump, dumped everything that was on the phone. Including all those sexts. Well, there's that. And I guess the prince sent Jeff Bezos a picture of a woman who looks like Lauren Sanchez. And with that picture included a joke. Everybody ready? Everybody ready for the joke? Ready for the joke? This is crazy, wacky Saudi humor. Arguing with a woman is like reading the software license agreement. In the end, you have to click, you have to ignore everything and just click, I agree. He's not completely. But wait a minute. Did they have a text relationship going back and forth? The crown prince is the guy who called for the hit on Jamal Khashoggi, the Washington Post writer. Why are these guys buddies? I don't get this. Power, power, power. It's a circle you know nothing of. And you don't want to know anything of. 
Power attracts power. I have zero trophies. (laughs) I've won. You guys, the China situation is bad. Chinese state media says the city of Wuhan is shutting down outbound flights, trains, buses. 17 people have died. That number tripled in one day. It is. They, they're they're cutting off this whole area, and we're learning more about the food market where this deadly virus surfaced, and it's like a food market Nick would go to. He's into exotic meats. The there's an internet business at the Wuhan market that lists a menagerie of animals: live foxes, crocodiles, wolf pups, wolf pups, what? Giant salamanders. Snakes, rats, peacocks, porcupines, camel meat, and other game. Freshly slaughtered, frozen, and delivered to your door. Wild game animal husbandry for the masses. I'd buy a t-shirt if they had sort of, if they had like. No, there's people dying from this thing. And the thing is, if the death toll went up from what, 6 to 17, we're going to see potentially over the next couple of days. Those death numbers go up into the dozens oh, per yeah. day. Well, and they said yesterday 291 people just in China were sickened. You've got to believe that's a low number. And then you look at this thing spilling into other countries, including this country. Yesterday it was reported that a man in Washington state who had traveled to central China has tested positive for this. Uh, texting suicide and Michelle Carter are both trending right now. She was the woman who sent texts to her boyfriend urging him to kill himself when they were both teenagers. She is 22 years old. She uh, was convicted in that case, but is scheduled to be released from prison because of be early uh, because of good behavior. How long was she sentenced for? Uh, uh, just I think it was four years. She was sentenced to two and a half years in prison. Two and a half with 15 right. months served and the rest suspended. Wow, that so, would piss off. Uh, I believe the victim's family. She will stay like on, nothing on probation for five years after she's released. Terry Jones has died, a longtime member of Monty Python, founding member, um, hailed by his colleagues as the complete Renaissance comedian, a man of endless enthusiasm, died at the age of 77 after suffering from dementia. Uh, If you have not, I I was biting my tongue when Nick said, I've never seen any Monty Python movies. The... Uh, the number of people that had to have been inspired by his brand of comedy oh is God. is so far reaching uh, for, for anybody who wanted to get into comedy or does anything in comedy. Uh, it, 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 he he must have touched every single comedian's life. Monty Python and the Holy Grail it came out in 1975. We would watch that. My friends and I, we would watch that twice a month and recite the lines to each other to yeah. the point where it would annoy uh, our friends our other friends did you see this brawl kansas kansas state basketball game oh boy Bench. who was the guy that came in with the black shirt and the when the white pants is he just I don't a guy no i don't know if he was like an, an injured player that was on the bench or, or a coat i don't know i don't know but kansas forward silvio de souza has been suspended indefinitely wow. is he the one that used the chair at one point i think so D'Souza threw a punch, picked up the stool. Yes, it was difficult to ascertain the actions because a number of people crowding the court. Here's the part about this uh, that I guess is sort of a sad state of affairs when it comes to this type of thing, whether it's college basketball or baseball, whatever. Everyone's recording. This was towards the end of the game. People are taking out their phones. They're like, I'm going to catch this win, the last final moments in the celebration. Holy crap, they're fighting. So there's probably... 
50 or 60 different camera angles where they'll be able to catch every action of every player and person involved. That escalated so quickly. Yeah. Um, also of note, tomorrow is the big day at 10 a.m. Eastern. Jerry Brown and the elders and members of the Science and Security Board are going to be making the 2020 Doomsday Clock announcement. You really mean Jerry Brown? Yes, that's what he's doing now. Where does he live? Up north on a ranch. I text him oh, that's twice right. a year. Right. And he always responds. He does. This year he sent a picture back. What of, kind uh, of picture? Well, Shirtless. of uh <clears throat> of his dogs looking at a tree. It was from behind. And then he also sent me a picture of like this uh, menorah display he has on his ranch. <laughs> that sounds about right. Oh, Lord. The, the idea of you and Jerry Brown texting each other is just too good. It sounds like some art house film that we'll see in about 15 years. <laughs> totally. totally. Uh, again, a reminder, our news and brews, the first one for 2020 has been officially announced. We're doing it next Friday, the 31st. We're going to be live at HK's Bar and Grill in Rancho Cucamonga. All the information on the website KFIAM640.com. Use the keyword Gary and Shannon. An unlikely friendship. <laughs> we got a thousand bucks to give away. We'll tell you how you can win it coming up. No matter what we breed, we still are made of greed. This is my kingdom come. This is my kingdom come. Gary and Shannon, KFIAM640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Swamp Watch comes up at the bottom of the hour. We'll talk more about what's going on in the Senate. Of course, House managers led by Adam Schiff presenting their case against the president in the impeachment trial. Tulsi Gabbard is suing Hillary Clinton for at least $100 million in damages. We'll tell you why. More on that Jeff Bezos phone being hacked by the Saudi crown prince. We got a thousand bucks to give away. Here it is. For your chance at a thousand bucks, text the nationwide keyword coffee, C O F F E E, to 200 200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. That's coffee to 200 200. And remember, you've got to answer the phone. If you don't, they will move on. So will your money. It looks like that number is going to be starting with a 513 area code. Your next chance to win $1,000. Coming up next hour, every hour, 5 a.m. to 620, right here Monday through Friday on KFI. The following program is brought to you in living color. What you watching in there? Americans love television. They wean their kids on it. USA television much better. You've been watching too many of those live television shows. Well, if you're not watching the impeachment, uh, you've got to be watching The Bachelor, right? I really tried to get through this episode. I really have tried to get through these episodes. But there's just a problem with the whole champagne gate that I have. Which part of it? Well, remember the girl that brought the bottle from Des Moines, yeah. Iowa, and she got upset because another girl opened it? There is no shortage of champagne in this house. Yeah, but that was a bottle she had. Like, they don't even have it. water. Like, you know in Congress how they can only drink water and milk? Yeah. On The Bachelor, they can only drink champagne. Like, that's the rule. Petros, is she right? I mean, there's got to be truckloads well, of champagne available to these people. They drink Prosecco and Cava and all kinds of different bubblies. Uh, but the bottle from Des Moines was special because it was Dom Perignon. But then Champagne Gate was only like the first 40 minutes. And then we moved on to another fight uh, between women. 
uh, more multitudinous women, but <laughs> there was more to, than just Champagne Gate, Shannon. You you tapped out early because somebody prevented you from doing your hot yoga this week, and I apologize. <laughs> he treated Shannon like a secondary guest. Yeah, and. Booked her and then never called her back, and Shannon didn't go to core power yoga. So, well, I'd like to move forward too. We can't go forward without looking back to Champagne Gate. Let's hear the famous Hannah Ann, who is hot. I know. I think of you. I think of you every time she comes on the screen, and I'm like, she's not that hot. Like she's not as hot as Pete Selzer. Something about her. It just looks like she's just been crying all the time. It's just I don't know. (laughs) That's what you look for in a woman. (laughs) I look for just somebody who's totally miserable, totally broken. If Sylvia Plath was still alive, my wife. But uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so, and Kelsey is an idiot. It's I mean, funny. It, just really quick, uh, it, it, the same thing happens for me with Laura Dern. I think of Matt every time I see Laura Dern because he oh. once talked about how hot she is, and I'm oh. like, really, Matt? <laughs> anyway, Laura Dern. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're friends with Bruce Dern. I mean, Laura Dern's great. Bruce, yeah, she's great. Bruce but Dern's she looks great. like kind of a, a point forward. She's a bit of a swing man, if you know what I'm saying. Okay. Kind of knobby need and bony. All right, all right, all right. Back to the Bachelor. Fabulous actress. <laughs> uh, well, here's Kelsey, who looks a little like Laura Dern, and Hannah Ann, who always looks like she's just uh, been crying because she's been abused by David Lynch. I love her. And uh, here they are talking about the stealing of the champagne or whatever again. So last night wasn't nice. You have to understand the word bully, that's a very serious accusation oh, to make, God. and I'm not okay with that, and I will not tolerate it. After the fanasco of the champagne stealing incident, you were, calling me, you were saying that I was fake. You were saying something about a princess comment. Using can... unkind words to you, I apologize oh, for that, but Lord. that is not bullying. Somebody put me down like a sick animal. You know what they should replace the champagne with? Book. <clears throat> books. You know, put some books up in there so these girls can learn to read and talk. Picture Weathering Heights. <laughs> Holy uh, hell. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I totally understand why you tapped out now that I had to hear that again for the third time. Uh, but they do shift. Do you know this? Uh, do you, are you even familiar with the girl Alea? Uh, like I don't remember. pageant chick. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone hates her. Right. Everyone hates her. And this girl, Sydney who actually went to college and high school with Hannah B. in Tuscaloosa. And this girl, Sydney, does not like Alea. So she does the thing where she confronts Alea, tells Peter Alea sucks. Peter goes to all the girls, asks them if Alea sucks, this and that. But this is kind of funny. This is Sydney uh, asking Alea if she, like, has a job or anything. I've always been a title holder. Like, I've held several titles, and so I'm so used to being that. Knowing what to say, the right thing to say. And knowing how not to offend anybody when I'm saying things. And, like, you know, if I don't want to answer a question, how to answer without answering. Like, those things are easy for me. Yeah, like, opening up and, like, being your true core is kind of hard. You sound so rehearsed and, like, so... So, like, on, you know what I mean? And if cameras, you're just, like, on. But if you come in here worrying about how you're perceived, then you're not going to be your real self to Peter. And, like, that's what he's here to find is, like, a real person. Yeah. What about Peter? 
But who knows what he wants? He, he's here to figure it out. Right. I don't know. <laughs> she knows what she's doing, and she's manipulating Peter, like, 1,000%. She recognizes that I see through her. It's not the Alea show. Like, this is about Peter. Like, it's just time to cut the... <sighs> This is about the guy that we're all making out with at the same time. This is let's right. let's we're here it's for about him. Being real. God, it's so gross. Um, First of all, did, who, who's real on camera? No one. Literally, no one. Um, did you no one. Not, see his not hips? Not Khloe Kardashian. Not not freaking Seacrest. Not Peter O'Toole. Hey, did you see you Peter's know? hips last <laughs> night? Uh, his, his his hips when he was line dancing. He kind of has woman hips a little bit. No. Did you catch that? Yeah. Yeah, that's from sitting in the pilot chair. Those yeah. are called pilot hips. Oh, man. I, I, those are some hips. I was like looking yeah, into like a mirror. Chris Rose. Nobody was... likes a guy with birthing hips. No, absolutely not. Got to keep that. I like Ishiel's... a lady with birthing hips now. Ishiel spread to the minimum. Um, so also nothing now. Nothing wrong with big hips on a lady. No, nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, now no, we're also. A big hipped dude. I can't do it. I won't do it. You know, like it. where you would find like a skeleton in, like, in Pompeii. And it's got some big ass hips, and you're like, "Wow, that must have been a woman." And they're like, "Nope, it was a dude." Now, a guy with an ass is one thing, but the hips totally unnecessary, right? right? <laughs> so anyway, uh, and is it not not to be uh, a, a person of the of the former generation and and point out the differences between men and women, because we know that there are none. Uh, but this guy not only has birthing hips. But that's such a chick thing to say. I'm not going to get past this for a while. Yeah, it's like how do you know? How does that, that is be- such a chick thing to say? How is that attractive? When, uh, yeah. I'm not going to get past this for a while. You know, I you saw that. Punish you with this for a while. I saw I'll that get we're past like a, at some point. We're like at an all-time low birthing rate yeah. in this country Cause, cause because dudes can't get over dudes it. Dudes suck. You're right. <laughs> True that. Thanks, Pete. That one. For every Klobuchar, there's 50 dudes that just are like chicks, like Blake. <laughs> Less facial hair, maybe. But... Uh, see you later, man. Bye. All right. We just, while we were talking with Petros, Adam Schiff wrapped it up. They've taken a break. We'll come back and we'll start Swamp Watch by talking about how Adam Schiff laid out the case today for the impeachment trial against the president. Gary and Shannon. Follow me into the door. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Coming up after Chris's news at the top of the hour, we will go live to Capitol Hill for all of the latest in this impeachment hearing on the Senate floor. Also coming up in the 1 o'clock hour, Justin Worsham joins us, how to teach your kids to fail. And the new service that's helping strangers meet so they can have a baby together. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) But uh, let's just jump right in, shall we? Yeah, here's Swamp Watch. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Swamp Watch. It took about two and a half hours, but the uh, lead House impeachment manager, Adam Schiff, 
laid out the opening case for the Democrats and the two articles of impeachment against President Trump when it comes to the uh, Senate trial. Um, They have taken a recess and they said they're going to be out for about 20 minutes or so. So we'll see exactly what it is that they're going to do or what time. There were a couple of breaks yesterday that were only supposed to be about five minutes that lasted 20. I don't know who gets to determine that, but uh, even John Roberts, the chief justice of the Supreme Court, has been watching his uh, watch on these. Adam Schiff laying out high expectations for the senators as the trial got underway, calling on them to decide what kind of democracy that you believe we ought to be and what Americans can expect in the conduct of their president. In the opening remarks, he outlined the history of the impeachment power, explained why the ability to remove a president was not given to the House. I'm, which I appreciate. I mean, I like the idea of the the historical reasoning behind the framers of the Constitution coming up with a plan. They didn't want to give ultimate power to one person, so they knew there had to be checks and balances. This is the ultimate uh rebuttal perhaps to a a person a single person having the same power or a similar power to an entire judicial branch and an entire legislative branch well come on these are the senators from the united states of america 100 these 100 people probably know more about the constitution than the the you know the next 5000 combined these are not school children he seemed totally condescending which is just a vibe that i get from him adam schiff calling president the key player in the scheme to pressure ukraine for investigations that could benefit him politically in exchange for that white house meeting and the release of the withheld military aid the problem with the way the washington post wrote that up the withheld military aid it wasn't withheld they eventually got the aid everyone was in the loop adam schiff said that the president directed the actions of his team he personally asked a foreign government to investigate his opponent the one thing about yesterday that i think needs to change there are a couple of minor things for example adam schiff continued to bang that podium and in the senate he can't hear the bang that that makes but when you're listening to it on television, it's really, really annoying. And I'm hoping that somebody said to him, hey, by the way, don't bang the don't bang the podium. That's a minor thing. A major thing is the Democrats, whether you trust the evidence or not, the Democrats have piles of evidence, right? Yes, they still want more. They want more witnesses. They want more documents. But they have piles of evidence that the House has generated. The The people defending the president are just sort of saying things like, Yeah, but it's not a big deal. And what they need to do is come up with actual defense tactics to prevent this from going on. Look at this group of idiots. Oh, behind uh, Amy Klobuchar? Amy Klobuchar is doing a live interview on CNN on Capitol Hill, and there's a group of tourists that are standing in between her and Dana Bash just, like, looking at the camera, taking pictures of themselves. Is that thing on? Is that that live? And this kid's walking back and forth because he knows he's on television. We're such a dumb people. It's like a Raiders fan. Uh, I wanted to play for you the last two minutes of Adam Schiff's statement today. This uh, ended up the two and a half hour statement to open the House case against the president. The damage that this president has done to our relationship with a key strategic partner will be remedied over time. And Ukraine continues to enjoy strong bipartisan support in Congress But if we fail to act, the damage to our democratic elections, to our national security, to our system of checks and balances will be long-lasting and potentially irreversible. 
As you will hear in the coming days, President Trump has acted in a manner grossly incompatible with self-governance. His conduct has violated his oath of office and his constitutional duty to faithfully execute the law. He has shown no willingness to be constrained by the rule of law and has demonstrated that he will continue to abuse his power and obstruct investigations into himself, causing further damage to the pillars of our democracy if he is not held accountable. He cannot be charged with a crime, so says the Department of Justice. There is no remedy for such a threat but removal from office of the President of the United States. If impeachment and removal cannot hold him accountable, then he truly is above the law. We are nearly two and a half centuries into this beautiful experiment of American democracy, but our future is not assured. As Benjamin Franklin departed the Constitutional Convention, he was asked, what have we got? A republic or a monarchy? He responded simply, a republic if you can keep it. A fair trial? Impartial consideration of all of the evidence against the president is how we keep our republic. That concludes our introduction. With that, they went into about a 20-minute break, and we'll see who speaks next. Uh, we'll come back and tell you why Tulsi Gabbard is suing Hillary Clinton. Gary and Shannon. This is why, this is why we This is why we're Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640 Live, everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Currently in a break on Capitol Hill. The Senate impeachment trial got underway with an opening statement from House Manager, lead House Manager Adam Schiff, that went about two and a half hours this morning, uh, our time. Uh, They said that they would be back in about now. uh, Some of the senators who had been doing sort of the impromptu news conferences out in the hallways, it looks like, have started to make their way back into the Senate chamber for the next House manager to lay out their case. Adam Schiff said for the remainder of the day, senators would hear the details of Trump's corrupt, corrupt scheme in narrative form. And that after that chronology, House managers will discuss the constitutional framework of impeachment as it was envisioned by the founders. He said later they'll turn to why Trump's actions merit removal from office. As this is going on in the Senate, of course, the uh, four senators who are running for the Democratic nomination, Michael Bennett, Amy Klobuchar, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, have to sit there and listen to all of this instead of campaign in Iowa. Uh, You mentioned this earlier, and I was looking into it. For the first time in a national poll, it looks like Bernie Sanders actually has the lead over Joe Biden. Now, this is this is one poll. It was a CNN poll that was done from the 16th through the 19th of 500 registered voters, not likely voters, but registered voters. Um, But Bernie Sanders comes in at 27 percent, Joe Biden, 24 percent. And then down the line, Elizabeth Warren, 14, Pete Buttigieg, 11. And catch this. Michael Bloomberg uh, with 5% in that poll. Amy Klobuchar told reporters that her campaign is still making progress without her, talking about her local Iowa endorsements. And she said, well, she kind of chuckled when they asked if, uh, you know, surrogates were a full substitute for being on the ground herself. Obviously not. She said no. Um, But she said those local officials 
may be better than having more famous ones. For example, Iowa State Representative Ruth Ann Gaines, who has endorsed endorsed Klobuchar, was asked if she'd be bringing in any celebrities to stump for Amy Klobuchar. And she says, you're looking at it. In my neighborhood, I'm a celebrity. <laughs> Iowans like Iowans. That's funny. Um, the uh, the timing of what's going on with the the Senate trial, of course, with the impeachment, we've talked about this. The, the Super Bowl is on the 2nd. The Iowa caucus has come up on the 3rd. You've got the State of the Union address scheduled for the 4th of February. After that, you've got the South Carolina. Uh, sorry, New Hampshire primary coming up on the 9th or 10th of uh, of February. The f- the 7th of February, right now, the 7th of February is scheduled to be another Democratic debate. This one in New Hampshire. Now, if they're still going with this impeachment stuff on the 7th of February, they're going to have to cancel that debate. Because you're going to be missing Biden. I'm sorry. You're going to be missing uh, Sanders, Warren, and Amy Klobuchar. Oh, I really hope not. I've been really looking forward <laughs> to that. I have it circled on my calendar. Well, I'm just saying that the, the timing of this, we, you know, uh, with Nancy Pelosi sitting on the articles of impeachment for a month, this was uh, this was an interesting gamble that she took. Um, Tulsi Gabbard is suing Hillary Clinton. This is over the Russia plant situation? Yeah, remember Hillary Clinton said in a podcast that there was one Russian plant, basically, that was running for president. Everybody knew she was talking about Tulsi Gabbard. One of the Hillary Clinton staff members said, well, who else would she be talking about? Tulsi Gabbard has sued Hillary Clinton for $100 million. They said that she's lost uh, lost more than $50 million in damages. Because of the potential loss of donors and voters who heard the defamatory statements. And they said that the actual damages, personally and professionally, exceed $50 million. Interesting that that's the number. And that sounds like they're suing because they lost camp- possible campaign donations. So yeah. it wouldn't be personal money. It would be your campaign's money. Well, she also is suing for special damages, what they say. So the total is at least $100 million. Um, a, a spokesperson for Nick Merrill, a spokesperson for Hillary Clinton, said that the lawsuit is ridiculous. Or is it? Tulsi Gabbard lays out this case where Hillary Clinton has a special animosity against Tulsi Gabbard because in 2016, Tulsi was Bernie all the way. She was feeling the burn. She was, if you remember, she's the one who gave Bernie Sanders speech at the Democratic National Convention there in Philadelphia when we were there. And Hillary Clinton never forgave her for that, which they never forget. They never forget. They do not forget. And if she's not careful, we've seen a lot of people have bad things happen to them once you cross Bill and Hillary. All right. Let's go live to Capitol Hill when we come back. Also, an exciting event to tell you about right after Chris's news. Let's sing an anchor from the sun. There's a million city lights, but you know the Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640 live everywhere on that iHeartRadio app. Big news out of China with that mysterious new virus that they said 
has the potential to mutate, complicating matters. This is in central China, where at least 291 people have fallen ill by this. 17 people have died from it. And now the city of Wuhan is shutting down outbound flights and trains and buses and all of that because this thing is just taken off. We have a big announcement for the show. We are going to be live next Friday for our first news and brews of the year. We're going to be at HK's Bar and Grill out in Rancho Cucamonga. Live show, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. right there on site. You can find out information at uh, KFIAM640.com. Use the keyword Gary and Shannon as we get closer. We'll talk about uh, some of the specials that HK's Bar and, uh, Bar and Grill has promised us and you once we get out there next Friday for our news and brews. Well, the U.S. Senate has begun hearing those opening arguments in the president's impeachment trial, and it has been a slog. It has been yesterday 13 hours of procedural rules votes, and today Adam Schiff spending two and a half hours laying out the House manager's case against the president, trying to convince these senators to remove him from office. And imagine this, they've got to do it without caffeine. No caffeine. No nothing. Uh, Serena Marshall is joining us from Washington with the latest on uh, on the rules that 100 senators have to sit under while they're listening to people like Jerry Nadler go on and on and on. What's going on? Well, these are rules that govern the Senate, you guys. They're they're not actually just for the impeachment trial. Some of them are, but the ones about water and what you can drink on the Senate floor, those dictate any time you're in the chamber. The only beverages that are allowed inside the chamber are water and sparkling water. Now, there is this weird thing going around about milk, and that's kind of a, a question mark, actually, because essentially if you dig back in the congressional record in 1966, a senator, um, Dirksen, from Illinois, it's actually it's a building named after him here, asked the presiding officer if he could have a glass of milk while he was talking. The presiding officer said, there's nothing in the rules that prohibit the senator from requesting a glass of milk. And so that went in as a footnote. So now essentially they're saying you can have milk and water on the Senate floor, but nothing else. But when they're not in session, when they get those 15-minute breaks in between remarks, they are able to get off the floor and get something else to drink. I did love that yesterday the sergeant-at-arms, I believe it is, for the Senate called everybody to order and said, under the pain of imprisonment, basically, you follow these rules. I love that term. Would the chief justice throw a gavel at somebody or would he just have them escorted out of the chamber for for breaking these I don't think that's really the chief justice's MO there, Gary. He's pretty stoic throughout the proceedings. We actually saw him get animated once during yesterday's 13 hours of, of of remarks uh, during those rule during that rulemaking session, and that was when he chastised both sides, the Democrats, managers, and the president's legal team for the tone that they were using, and essentially telling them, "Hey, remember where you are and what you're doing right now." He didn't want to see that tone anymore. What's up with the candy drawer? Uh, so you can have water and candy, but nothing else. <laughs> Yeah, weird rules, right? So it's not technically a rule, but there is this history that goes back uh, decades that one senator on the floor has a drawer that is filled with candy. Since 2015, that senator has been Patrick Toomey, Republican of Pennsylvania. Uh, He has his drawer stocked with candy from Hershey, Pennsylvania, uh, Hershey, different, different Hershey products. And any senator can go over and get a little bit of a sweet tooth fix from his drawer throughout these proceedings. Um, But 
but that is technically also not allowed, but it's one of those things that everyone looks the other way on. Um, I've seen the actual uh, storage places where the senators have been stowing their phones. Some of them will hand a phone to a staffer when they go into the chamber. But I was also hearing a lot yesterday about Apple watches or watches, smart watches that some of the senators may have been wearing. That's supposed to be against the rules, isn't it? Yeah, so you're not allowed to have any electronics on the Senate floor. Typically, when they're in session, you'll see senators with their cell phones, with tablets, with other electronic devices. No problem. But as you mentioned, that cubby, it looks like a kindergarten cubby where you put your uh, cell phone or your your items um, and you know what number, it has a number on the cubby there. But you're right. A couple of senators were wearing their Apple Watches. That is against the rules. We saw a couple of them lit, light up a few times, but it didn't seem that anyone was visibly checking their watches for messages alert or anything of that nature. Uh, all of the senators, if they want to know what's going on outside, if they have a message that needs to be given to them inside, they have one staffer that they've assigned to their team, uh, from their team assigned to this, and that one staffer is allowed to go in and out in order to give messages on paper. Pretty strict media rules, too, right? Yeah, the media rules are fairly strict on this. We are working with them, the Radio Television Correspondents Association, to try and loosen those a little bit more to be able to have more free roaming uh, in the halls to get senator reactions after and before these remarks. Uh, That's an ongoing negotiation, though. But they are definitely more strict than typically govern the Senate. All right, Serena, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Serena Marshall there with the latest on these uh, the rules that are now imposed on uh, the Senate when it comes to this impeachment trial as it Uh goes through. Looks like this city, Wuhan, is taking action to quarantine all of the people in Wuhan. You want to talk about that when we well, come back? Yeah. And now it's now the, the sickened toll is over 500. 17 100. dead. And here's the thing. China's not really great about giving us all updated, truthful numbers no, about stuff. China's not open with news. So My phone didn't work when I was passing through the airport in Beijing. I tried to pull it. Pull, up a newspaper and they wouldn't let me read any news well see and i bet you i wonder how much of this is actually being covered in china also well i had heard that the state television network was running things like don't talk to people don't touch people this is a very serious thing they are letting people know about this all right that's coming up next gary and shannon will continue also your chance at a thousand dollars for you to buy round trip tickets to beijing Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Jerry Nadler wrapped up his segment, Look Like. Now Congresswoman Sylvia Garcia, one of the impeachment managers, continues to outline the case uh, against President Trump, the two articles of impeachment. talking. She's specifically talking about the relationship between President Trump and Ukrainian President Zelensky. Um, we'll pay attention, see if there's anything new that comes out of this, but this is... Like we said before, uh, expected to be 24 hours of argument, uh, opening statement perhaps, in the case on behalf of House Democrats who present the case against the president. And then three days, 24 hours worth of argument for the president's defense counsel to offer their arguments. I've got a bit of a Royals update. Oh, 
quickly. Remember Megan? Yeah. And her father that aren't getting along? Right. Well, apparently he is going to go on a British TV documentary tonight and say that Prince Harry and his daughter are cheapening the royal family and turning the House of Windsor into a Walmart with a crown on it. It's called Thomas Markle, My Story. It's airing on Britain's Channel 5. Wow. That's like a third-rate celebrity, isn't it? He says they're turning into lost souls at this point. Oh, stop it. Hey, we got a thousand bucks to give for your chance at a thousand bucks. Text the nationwide keyword tab T A B to 200 200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. That's tab to 200 200. If you win, they'll contact you by phone. You got to answer the phone to pick up a thousand dollars. Otherwise, they'll move on to somebody who will pick up and win a thousand dollars. We have a chance an hour from now during the John and Ken show. In fact, every hour between 520 in the morning and 620 at night, we give away a thousand dollars right here on KFI. This virus situation is no bueno. Not getting any better. That's for certain. No good at all. And then I saw this. Uh, I saw this cross the wire that the L.A. County Department of Public Health are going to hold a press interview session. Mm. But then in caps, it says there are no reported cases in Los Angeles County. <laughs> well, and there's only one that we know of in the entire United States. That's up in Washington state. But World Health Organization officials met yesterday to try to figure out if they're going to declare this thing a public health emergency of international concern. At that point yesterday, they were a split on that. So they're getting back together today to do this. But when we see the numbers jump from, I think, a a handful of deaths yesterday up to 17 today and hundreds and hundreds of people worldwide who have been sickened by this, I think it's just a matter of moments, perhaps, before the World Health Organization says that this is an international concern. Coronavirus is a large group of viruses that are common among animals. And if contracted, you're going to get Common cold symptoms, and then I instantly feel those symptoms. I know. (laughs) Or possibly contract pneumonia. According to the state-run television there in China, bus, subway, ferry, long-distance passenger transportation networks, all suspended in Wuhan until further notice. The airports and train stations will also be closed to all outgoing passengers as well. So if you're in Wuhan, you're screwed Authorities, they say, have stepped up efforts to control the outbreak by discouraging public gatherings in that central area where the virus is believed to have originated at the end of last year. So the other thing they're going to have to do is try to contain this internationally, because we know that there are cases that have been reported in Taiwan, in Thailand, South Korea, Japan, and like we said, now in the United States, other places, uh, developed countries who have regular um, commuters, travelers between themselves and china are uh ready for this and so many of them have already said we probably have our first cases we just haven't diagnosed them yet in the united states they set up checkpoints cdc sent out agents to air um jfk san francisco international and lax to screen passengers coming in from wuhan or at least that area and They're going to add two more to that. They're going to add Chicago's O'Hare Airport and Atlanta's Hartsfield-Jackson Airport. And they're saying that they may eventually funnel all flights that come in from those areas through one of those five airports into the United States so that they can check everyone that comes off those airplanes. In Wuhan, pharmacies are limiting the sales of face masks to one package per customer because people have just been lining up to buy them. One of the people they spoke with, Yang Bin, is a father of a seven-year-old. He bought a mask. He says, as an adult, I'm not too worried about the disease. I think we're more worried about our kids. 
Medical workers in protective suits could be seen carrying supplies and stretchers into the treatment center in Wuhan, where some of the patients are being treated. And one of the problems they said with this that raised concerns was that these medical workers, these hospital workers that were taking every single precaution, they were getting this virus as well. And, you know, what you're seeing now also is some of the images out of Wuhan are of the medical workers placing the patients and power just went out, placing the patients in uh, tubes. Yeah. Like that, like we saw when people were tr- being transported that had Ebola. Right. To be that careful. Yeah. Um, so. Um, they say that it's too early to compare the new virus with SARS, of course, that wiped out about 800 people 18 years ago or so, or MERS, the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, in terms of how lethal this thing might be. They say that the spike in new cases may be due to improvements in detection and monitoring. Well, regardless, it ain't good. And remember, this all came from, uh, like you're saying, these usually originate in animals. These all came from, it's believed, a, a wildlife seafood market in Wuhan, uh, a price list that has circulated on the Internet for a business at the Wuhan market just gives an example of what's available at this place. Animal based products like live foxes, crocodiles, wolf puppies, giant salamanders, snakes, rats, peacocks, porcupines, camel meat and other game. In fact, 112 items in all Freshly slaughtered, frozen, and delivered right to your door. The wild game animal husbandry for the masses, it says. This is crazy because we were just talking about exotic meats. We went down this uh, exotic meat hole uh, the other day, and Nick was talking about all the different exotic meats that he would like to try. He pointed out that you could eat a peacock. If you wanted to. I I just saw this tweet from KFI. It says uh, KFI AM 640, right? There you go. And it says going to the Super Bowl can be an amazing once-in-a-lifetime experience, but Gary and Shannon explain why it's not worth it to go into debt for a ticket to the big game. Uh-oh. Did we do that? Because I'm literally going into debt for a ticket to the Super Bowl, probably. I don't think we did that. Did well, we do, do that? as we say, not as we do. Exactly. I mean, uh, when we come back, <laughs> Justin Warsham, host of the Dad Podcast, is going to join us. Talk about some fun stuff as well. Yeah, that's us. Yes, sir. KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. That's the fourth time today we've done that. Oh, really? (laughs) The president says that he may drop in on the uh, Senate trial. Yeah, no. That's what he told reporters today. He said the Democrats have nothing on him. I love his optimism. Like he could just push open the door and take a seat next to somebody. Uh there's no one allowed in there. I mean, he could sit in the gallery, I guess, right? He has been in Switzerland for the past two days, showcasing the American economy to world leaders. But by all of those accounts, he kept one eye firmly fixed on what's going on with the impeachment drama. And if this impeachment stuff wasn't going on today, we would have spent a lot more time on this story about Jeff Bezos' phone being hacked by the Saudi crown prince. Mohammed bin Salman is accused of sending Jeff Bezos a WhatsApp video file that was actually a Trojan horse that hacked into the phone 
and then dumped a whole bunch of data from his phone. The prince, I guess, was in some sort of a text relationship off and on with Jeff Bezos, which, again, whatever. I don't understand those powerful circles, why you become friends with someone like that. Yeah. Anyway, he, the prince supposedly sent a picture of a woman who looked like Lauren Sanchez to Jeff Bezos and a joke that said, arguing with a woman is like reading the software license agreement. In the end, you have to ignore everything and just click I agree. It's a great moment for a laugh track. (laughs) (laughs) Justin Worsham, host of the Dad Podcast, joins us on today. Uh, And this (laughs) day. On Wednesdays, but some days it's Thursdays. So no, it's a surprise. No, it's a surprise. (laughs) We enjoy it. This man, we like it. The Dad Podcast, you get a chance to talk to to parents, to therapists, to doctors uh, about the wonderful art and adventure of parenting. Oh, I like it. You might want to put that on a t-shirt. Yeah, I like the wonderful art and adventure. That one's free. Like a martial art sometimes. That one's free. (laughs) Um, But this fascinating uh, headline, at least, from this article about teaching your kids to fail. Yeah, see, when I, this, I need your help, because there are moments in my life that I feel like start to make my my waistline on my pants creep up closer to my sternum and uh, justify my premature gray hair. Like those commercials where you're turning into your parents. Yeah, Yeah. because the idea, part of this article is that it's, it sounds great, teach your kids to fail, but the first thing it goes into is that you, the new rule is that you're not supposed to praise your kid by saying they're smart. Because then it implies that anytime they fail, it's because they're stupid. And I I just can't wrap my mind around the reality of that. And I think it's because I spent most of my 80s childhood having my father tell me how stupid I was yeah, constantly. That, that was an 80s thing. He <laughs> called, my, my dad called my brother dummy and yeah. stupid, like, routinely. But It now, made my mother so upset. But wait a minute. Let me ask both of you in those contexts. I don't think I ever heard that from my, my parents. <laughs> no, the comma, my parents. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but I have said that to my kids, but in a in a fun, fun yeah. sense. Yeah. Like, that's dum-dum and dummy and things like that are just... It would just be a fun thing. Yeah. Like I call them Dingus and Nimrod, and I joke that they have a morning show whenever they do something stupid. <laughs> dingus and Nimrod in the morning. But were your parents serious about it? I mean, were they calling, like, was that out of anger that they would No, worry? no. I think it was in the same yeah. situations where, you know. Okay. Even my, but my dad. here's the thing. My mom got mad about it because even if it was in jest, even if it was kidding, she thought it would leave some, like, lasting impact on my brother, right? Like, even if you're kidding when you say, hey, dummy, it's, there's still a little bit of that because you probably are doing something dumb that's that's going to stick with you. And this is why I like it when we talk about our own childhood, because I, the, the biggest peril of parenting for me is the idea that you really don't know how good it's going until they're like in their mid-30s. Right. right, like, right. Like, like, <laughs> and even just, then, yeah, exactly. sometimes. Sometimes still a crapshoot. You know what I mean? <laughs> it can take a sudden turn to the left for no reason. But I, so because I feel like. My dad, he did it a couple times in anger that I remember, but it was justified. Like, yeah, I, was, right. like I drove my truck into a lake. That's not a time to say that your kid is anything but a moron. It's not to pat. It's not a time to pat you on the head. <laughs> I didn't need any sunshine blown up my. You know what? I needed to be reminded yeah. of how stupid my sixteen-year-old brain was. Well, I think it's important when your kid does something smart that you tell them yeah. that that's smart. Right. Why can't we just boil it down to just sincerity, right? Just, just, right. I don't have to make you feel all warm and fuzzy all the time, right? right? right, right. I don't have to withhold praise because, God forbid, you feel good about an accomplishment. Why do you have to learn how to, like, screw with your kids' minds? Yes! 
by what you say to them and just be authentic. Shannon always has a great way of articulating the unknown thoughts in my head because, like, yeah, everything feels like some kind of like interrogation tactic where I always have to walk around on eggshells. And the big thing that I love about what this article says, though, is and I do a lot of this with my kids is the idea of what we really should be doing is teaching them to be comfortable with failure. So my my kind of thing that I picked up from a lot, like a lot of uh, entrepreneurial books and podcasts and stuff like that is this idea that you're either going to learn from something you try or you're going to achieve it. Well, then I would change that word from comfortable because uh, I, I don't want kids to be good at failing. <laughs> like, <laughs> Good point. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, we're, you're just the nature of what we do every day in terms of life. There are things that you will fail at, little things on a daily basis and big things every once in a while. It's just a matter of understanding that that's part of the process. Right. It's not that you have to be even comfortable with it because I think being comfortable with it um, – uh, that kind of brings out the the connotation that it's um it's an acceptable thing yeah and it's, it's not it's that easy it's easy slippery slope into status quo is right. that a fair to say yes to put it? And, and you would want uh, you would want kids to say you know i know that there will be roadblocks i know that i'll slip back i i'll fail at certain things it's not the i don't want to be comfortable with that i don't want to be happy with the status quo that that to use that term I want to take those failures and turn them into lessons, learning opportunities, whatever it is, so that it doesn't happen again. How are your – and tell me if this is none of my business. but None I of your business. Your, okay. Uh, never mind. My kids. But I'll, listen, <laughs> but I'll listen to the question anyway. But how are your kids dealing with, like, challenges and failure? Because I have – it's very interesting. I have my older son who is petrified of failure, Mm -hmm. like constantly worried about doing something wrong. So I'm constantly reminding him of like, dude, it's okay to try and have it not go well. And then the second one, and I don't know if it's because he's got an earful of me telling his brother and I've accidentally made him that status quo slippery slope that we talked about. He's like, I don't, he showed me with pride recently, a like a, a social studies thing where he did. He's like, I read it, did my test. It's done. I go, yeah, but one out of 10, son, you got one out of 10. He goes, yeah, but I read it. I go, Right, but you got nine things wrong. So did you really read it or did your just eyes travel across words? Jack is going to go through life going too quick on all of everything, his tests. Everything. I'll tell you that right now. I don't care. He's, he's so much smarter yes. than any of that stuff because he just doesn't care. And at the same time, I'm so envious of his self-confidence. Yeah. I don't want to take that totally. away from him because everything just bounces off of him. You can't he's... take it away. Trust me. Okay, good. Well, I would say this. Wait, Mike... do you see a lot of you and Jack? Is yes. That... Okay, good. All right, I'm okay with that. I'm all right with that. Out of myself and your six-year-old. Um, I saw it in him when we went to the track. I was right. like, "There's a lot of me in that." That's kid. why he keeps getting invites to your birthdays. Now I get it. Now- Being afraid of failure, I think, is fine. Right. Right. But I've always said to my kids, "It's okay to be afraid of things. It's okay to fear things. Yes. But it's not okay to let that fear cripple you. Like right. it's okay to fail. If you, uh, if if my son asks a a, a woman. Hopefully, because he's over the age of 18 now, he asks a woman out. He's got to be okay with the idea that she might say no to him, and as opposed to not asking for fear right. that she might say no. And my dad's way of kind of, and I do a lot of that too, my dad's way of beating that into me was he constantly kept saying, you have nothing to fear but fear itself. He loves that quote. To the point where I don't even know who said it because to me it's my dad. <laughs> President who, I don't care. It was my dad. It was, 
Truman or Roosevelt? Roosevelt, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. All right, coming up next, uh, we talked about oh. this site briefly. Oh, you guys did? It, very briefly. Oh, okay. um, it's about uh, hooking up people who want to have a baby, but they want to skip the whole relationship marriage part. Weird. I want to know why this Like, it's I, not a sperm donor situation. Like, no. you're going to share custody of this kid. It just sounds like all the messy parts of a divorce that you have to go through. It's Tinder without dating and, and, and a consequence to the hookup is the best way I could kind of explain it to my wife. I don't understand this. I yeah. think it's just part of where we're at in 2020 where you want to be so the minority of the minority. Like, you want to do things so differently than the mainstream. It's a new social revolution. Like, the, like I feel like... That now I feel like again I feel like an old man like I, that it really skeeves me out. I wish I could be more comfortable with it. Gary and Shannon will continue just a moment. Justin Warsham, host of the Dad Podcast, has joined us. KFI AM 640 Live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. The impeachment case continues. Now I think the fourth impeachment manager for Democrats in the House, Congressman Jason Crow, is up there continuing to present the case for the two articles of impeachment against President Trump. Um, They've been outlining, of course, everything that we have heard before and uh, played some short little sound bites from some of the interviews we saw in front of the House committees over the uh, the end of last year, et cetera. So. I have more information about the Crown Prince and Jeff Bezos yes. and the friendship. Apparently, the two exchanged phone numbers at a dinner in California a couple years ago, but they weren't really friends. And they say that the Crown Prince hacked into the phone because it, it was an attempt to influence, if not silence, the newspaper's reporting on the kingdom. Oh, so then they killed one of the reporters, and that uh, tended to uh, do nothing to silence the Washington Post. Right. Um, there was also a story, and we'll have more about it throughout the newscast the rest of the day. These four people killed in a plane crash that uh, went down near the Corona Airport and caught fire today, just about uh, 12. 10, 12, 15 this, this afternoon. We are talking with Justin Worsham, host of the Bad Dad podcast. Not the Bad Dad, but the Dad it's podcast. Pretty bad, guys. It's pretty <laughs> And uh, our friend who joins us as often as we can have him in here to talk about parenting. And there's a new co-parenting site. It's all about skipping dating and love and marriage and just having a baby together. Yeah, if you don't want all the baggage of trying... Because here's what it... <laughs> Here's my, I'm trying to, I'm going to devil's advocate a little bit, and then you guys shoot holes in this. I don't like it. I, if I'm being probably more honest than I should be, I, I think. But it, the thing that gives me pause is that, I'm going to use this as an analogy. In my school here in Burbank, we have permits, is what they call it. So kids that uh, live in LAUSD areas, if their parents work in Burbank, they can have them bring their kid. And other parents who are in Burbank, there's a lot of not in my backyard kind of thing. So they're like, Oh, we got so many. Per- and I'm like, I want those people because if those are the people who understand that they feel like this school where my kids go is a better opportunity for their kids, right. they're invested. Right? right. That's the people I want. So my argument to be in favor of this kind of thing is that these at least are people who actively are making choices to try to be responsible about having a kid as opposed to. Just hooking up in a bar bathroom one day. You I just started I mean? laughing because I remembered Gary's take on this story when we mentioned it briefly last week or so. 
Um, I'm worried about the dudes that will be into this because, as he said, oh. in some weird ass voice. Like, I want to hear the voice. Do you remember, Jerry? Do you remember? Okay, you have to do it. Hey, uh, could, do you mind if I hang out with your son? I'll take him on the weekend. I'll take him on the weekend. I'll go anywhere with that kid. <laughs> like, what dudes are going to sign up to hang out with the kid for, like, every other weekend and Tuesdays and Thursdays? I mean, who is I, that guy? I know that there are people who want to have kids. Like, I get you. You've said this before. Yeah. I mean, you're the I've kid who wanted to get married when he was in junior high. A weirdo. A it, it makes it hurtful when you do all that eye rolling while you talk yes. about that, just so you know. Or I did. You could have done the voice for it, too. <laughs> I can't wait to marry you. That's exactly uh, what I did. But, um, but but it's a it's a bizarre thing one of the things that drives parenthood not all the time cuz clearly there are exceptions to this rule one of the things that drives parenthood is there's an innate ownership that's the wrong word of that person that's growing up underneath investment. you yeah, that's investment's a better use, yeah. word investment you you're invested because that's you yep and now, that's not to take away from stepchildren or adoptions or anything like that. But, I mean, because those also bring with them different qualifications. This seems like you're cutting all of that out. Yeah. All of it. And they, they do say that, you know, months and years are spent where it's – that's what I find interesting about it. It's not like you just go on and go, oh, click, click, click. Okay, great, perfect. I'll meet you this time, this place. We'll figure this out. That there is a process to where you come to an agreement of how you want to do this. You get to know the person, which I think could be arguably the same as dating. Maybe I don't right. know. <laughs> Other than the fact that maybe it's hyper efficient because we both know what the end goal is here. Um, but I just, I, I do you. But what do you think about my argument that I think that that qualifies for the investment because these people are actively searching this out. They're going, I want to have a kid, so I can't really find somebody that I can have a relationship with. But what if I have a baby step of a relationship, for lack of a better term, and still get to have a kid? See, I don't like it. My, immediate, I re- my I just, immediate reaction to that is, why can't you find somebody to have a kid with? Uh, no. I, I mean, I, and I don't mean like, you know, to drop a seat anywhere, but just. I've just never met a dude in the childbearing years that wants to take on a kid with all those responsibilities, even if it's for every other weekend or whatever. Interestingly enough, the majority of their membership is women. It's, uh, yeah. It's, yeah. Right. <laughs> like, I, ha- I don't have guy friends. that I-, I have girlfriends that, like, haven't been married or, or whatever that want to have a kid. And I've just never heard from my dude friends. They're like, oh, man, I just really want to have a kid. Like, this just – and I know that once you get married and you start to build a family, that's a thing. But no single guy is like, I can't wait. Let's yeah. go. I just need somebody to have a catch with in a few <laughs> years. I just feel like there's one thing that I have a friend who uh, they live together. They were roommates and he is gay. She is not. She came to him and said, listen, I don't think I'm ever going to find anybody, but I love you a lot. We're good friends. Would you be interested in having a kid? And they have a kid together. And from the outside, people who live a more, I'm going to use air quotes here, traditional lifestyle, I've looked at it and go, man, that seems like a lot of work. That seems like a lot. Because whenever he gets a job, she has to pack up and move too. Like they have to figure out he got married like when his kid was eight years old. So like they had to navigate that. And on the outside, we look at it and go, man, man, I, I don't know. And I never thought it shouldn't be done that way. Because they're still doing it, right? They're making it work. And they did say that, not that I think this is the entire purpose, but it was described in the article that 
uh, another option for this is for same-sex couples that are looking for somebody else who can help them have a kid. Yeah, the, I understand of the that. Opposite gender, of the opposite perhaps. gender. I get yeah. that. Yeah. I just – two straight people, like a straight dude being like, But to your oh. point, I mean, the, the fact that they, they had a genuine love for each other before they before went it. into this. Right, you know, right, I right. I thought that was important. All right. Yeah. Well, it's always a pleasure, Justin. Thank pleasure you. Pleasure mine, guys. Thedadpodcast.com. You can check it out. It's also on the iHeartRadio app, The Dad Podcast. Uh, all the impeachment stuff, of course, still going on. John and Ken are going to have a bunch of that uh, coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Stay dry. Blessings. Well, goodbye. And don't think it hasn't been a little slice of heaven, because it hasn't. Gary and Shannon.